Ever since I was a small boy, I've been obsessed with movies, books, and music. But as I grow older, I've begun to realize that these things increasingly miss the mark of fulfilling who we are meant to be. But they seem to have a common theme. They point us to a greater story, a greater adventure, a greater love, a greater joy. On this show, we dive into some of our favorite themes in songs, books, and movies so that we can begin the discussion of what our fascination with these stories actually reveal. A desire for something more. A desire for the unknown. A desire for love. A desire for God. Welcome to the adventure. Let's get started. Welcome back to the adventure. This is Steve. And this is Clint. Back to the Christ and culture. I'm actually really excited, you guys, because this is the first time in a long time that it's been original, Clinton Steve. Yeah, it has been almost a month actually. Now that I think about it, yeah, it's it's I think been longer than that because the last time it was you and I, Gordon was still here. Oh yeah, that's true. That's so true. it's been a while since it's been just us. I've been out and about saving lives and. Doing stuff. Yeah. yeah, living life. Clint, tell me what media you were intaking. I've actually had the chance to take in quite a bit of stuff in the past couple of weeks that I've been gone. But one of my, or a couple of my favorites. So I saw Ready Player One. Okay. Which is awesome. Which we'll probably be doing a podcast for soon, right? Yeah, I think we'll probably do one. Pretty yeah, because I know Nick's been asking about that and Sword Art Online. Sword Art Online, yeah. yeah. So if you haven't seen Sword Art Online, it's an anime. It's kind of a similar premise in a way to Ready Player mm-hmm. One. I, but yeah. I even haven't if, seen either. Even if you don't like anime, I would check it out. I was a huge fan of it. So yeah, we'll probably do something with those two coming up pretty soon here. So Ready Player One was awesome, especially if you're into geeky stuff, especially stuff from 80s and 90s. It was fantastic i heard there were a lot of references in that movie there were over 300 identified easter eggs wow that's intense it was fantastic and i loved every one of them very very cool so that was good and then while i was back visiting my family last week a lot of you guys saw my video that i posted in social media if you follow us on social media so i was visiting my family and i was staying up late with my brother one night and we were just seeing what was on tv and we came across Australian football. It's called footy. And I think it's now one of my favorite sports. Really? Yeah, it's definitely top three with uh, with MMA and uh, and soccer. So how is it different from American football versus soccer versus rugby? Yeah, so it's actually pretty similar to the three of those combined, I would say. That's what There's I've heard. There's 18 players on the field at all time. And it's intense. They are extremely violent and there are very rarely any fouls or penalties called Mm. these guys are so tough and it's it's really kind of crazy to watch but did hear that there's a team in houston so maybe we'll have to go check it out live sometime i remember hearing about that because i thought why even bother doing rugby when i can just join the australian footy team yeah so footy check it out i don't know how to check it out because i'm sure it's not on tv very often but check out footy sounds cool very, very cool. Yeah. Anything else? Well, yeah. We have the movie that we'll be talking about today, but I'll let you go ahead and tell us what you've been watching, listening to, and 
doing all that jazz first. All right. Yes, yeah, so I was able to watch a older movie called The Prestige with Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. Really good movie. It's about these magicians. I might do a podcast on it, but really, really good. Books-wise, I have been reading a lot of just books for work, a lot of books on fundraising, things like that. We're working through the God Ask right now. Fun. Um, yeah, well, it's it's good. It's interesting um, stuff. Yeah, a lot of it is is really interesting. It's sort of one of my boss's things that she likes. One of the things she enjoys is, I guess, to have us read and better <laughs> ourselves. We just came, I just came back from a conference in California uh, today as we're recording yeah, this. Yeah, so Steve is super tan right now. Looking, uh, looking great. I am as pale as they come. <laughs> I appreciate the lies. I'm hey. sure they have confession. <laughs> but it's good. It's It was good. It's been good. Uh, work's been good. Um, I've been working through some novenas. I'm currently running through the St. Joseph novena. At the same time that I'm, it's like a 30-day novena, at the same time that I am doing, just started today, the Pentecost novena. So That's a lot of novenas. I'm just trying to get holy, man. Hey. I need all the help I can get. Uh, absolutely. I hear you. So for all of our listeners, please pray for me. <laughs> but yeah, so that's it for me. Fortunately, I've been, I've been pretty unplugged the past couple weeks. But Fair enough. So as usual, we want to ask you guys to let us know what you are listening to, watching. If you have a favorite song that's out or something that's just been stuck in your head and you want to hear us do an episode on that, let us know. We literally keep a list of every single thing that you guys have ever requested, and we are working on getting to them as soon as possible. So some of them take a little bit more time than others, but we will hopefully get to them in the future. So please let us know what you're up to as well, and we'll do our best to cover that for you. With that... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you about the movie that we're going to be covering today, which is A Quiet Place. So, A Quiet Place, first off, I have to say for all the listeners who also are big fans of The Office, it's only slightly weird seeing Jim having a family that's not Pam, but John Krasinski's family in this movie is probably equally as awesome. So, you can you can. It's a, it's a hard and bold easy. claim. Well, here's the deal. Okay. His real-life wife, Emily Blunt, plays his wife in the movie. Mm. So they have this natural chemistry. And we're actually going to talk a little bit about the the family as we go through. Because one weird thing about this movie is we actually only see two characters who are not part of the family. So essentially, the only people we see are the family itself. Hmm. So it's really interesting interesting. in that. And so there's this really strong focus on the family aspect, and that's something we're going to be talking about later. With that being said, there are going to be some pretty big spoilers in this one. And um, I apologize for that. If you plan on watching this movie, I recommend doing it before you listen to this. Uh, Sorry we always do that to you, but it's kind of of part of it. This is kind of a shorter one. I think it's only an hour and a half movie, so... Before we recorded this, I d- expressed my displeasure in the fact that he was going to be spoiling this movie because initially I wanted to watch this movie and take the lead on it. I was really interested, but I haven't gotten around to watching it. So I guess I'll have to deal with it because if you listened to the Infinity War podcast the last week, Gordon had it, hadn't seen it at that point. Like he just hadn't seen it. So <laughs> I spoiled it for him. So I guess this is what i deserve <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best to not ruin it well, you know what 
Clint Runaway. We will figure it out. We will see. And actually, before we get started, is there anything that you've actually heard about this movie or like any expectations that you think like I might be talking about? Um, I really don't. Uh, well, okay, that's a lie. I had heard one thing about this movie. It was several weeks ago at my boss's... There's a young adult community at a parish up in Houston that I attended uh, that was hosted at my boss's parents' house. And her parents happened to be out at watching that movie when they came back he mentioned it and he was mentioning all these themes how it was very pro-family and pro-life and just all these things so i heard a little bit about that and i didn't know how they were going to tie it in the only other thing i heard is some people thought it might have been like a secret cloverfield movie like a part of the cloverfield franchise I don't um, really know what that is, so I can't... Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I know of Cloverfield and, and the 42 Cloverfield Lane or whatever that movie was. I don't that's, think that's the number more of Gordon's Alley than mine. Yeah, so that, actually Gordon's the one who told me that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that he thought that might be what it is. So, But I could also be wrong, so I have no idea. So cool. I don't know what the monsters were. Yeah, so cool. That's actually a pretty good start, I think. Yeah. Uh, so that's very insightful. I think he... Uh, he had some good ideas there. One Seems thing, like a smart guy. <laughs> one thing that I noticed or heard about before going into this movie, which is actually what made me so excited about it, is Bishop Barron gave an awesome review of this movie. And he actually he gave it the title of the most unexpectedly religious film of the entire year. Mm. So I didn't want to read his review of it because it gave a bunch of spoilers until I went and read it after I watched it. And there's some really, really insightful stuff in there. So if you listen to this podcast and you want to read some more, go check out Bishop Barron at Word on Fire, and he has a really good review that he posted too. So with that, let's go ahead and get into the story itself. The story begins with the Abbott family, which is John Krasinski's family. And they're walking through this abandoned town about 80 days into an invasion by these strange monsters who devour any living creature on earth. The monsters can't see or smell anything, but they have this extremely powerful hearing, which allows them to hear even the faintest sounds from ridiculous distances. And so to stay alive, they they need to stay quiet. And that's where we get the idea, a quiet place. They're doing this so the, the monsters can't find them. And the family of John Krasinski's character, Lee Abbott is his name, his wife, Evelyn, who I said is actually his real-life wife, Emily Blunt, and their three kids, Regan, Marcus, and Bo, make their way from this town where they had been walking around. They're getting supplies because one of the sons, Marcus, was sick. So they're getting supplies and getting some medicine for him. And they start walking back home using this trail of sand that they made to kind of silence their footsteps. And so they're walking, and... Now that I think about it, I don't think they ever actually use their names in the movie because they can't really talk. They use sign language to communicate. And so I actually had to look up their names to, to even figure out what they were called. Uh, so is it like actual sign language? But they like Are they using or are they just kind of making gestures? I don't know real sign language, but it was definitely a language. If it's not real sign language, uh, it's a sign and language. And there wasn't thing. like um, subtitles or anything. For the uh, sign language. There was subtitles for the sign language. Okay, okay. Yeah. I was just curious. Otherwise, I would have had no idea what they were talking about. Or what was going on. Yeah, it was just people <laughs> people making uh, signs, and I'd just be completely... Hand gestures. Yeah. 
So basically they're walking along this trail, they're heading home and without warning, their youngest son, Bo, turns on his toy rocket, which he had just picked up from the, the town. And it begins playing this really loud sound. And everyone kind of just turns and John Krasinski's character just takes off trying to save him. But before he can get there, it's too late. The monster gets there and essentially murders their son mm. right in front of their eyes. And this is the first five minutes of the film, right? So we already see one of the characters die right there. So after this, uh, the story's kind of broken up into three different parts. And each one has covered a different section of time. So this is the first part. And it flashes forward after this about a whole year, actually. And we see that they are pregnant with another child and have been making preparations at a farmhouse, which they, they live in, obviously. And they're trying to make it ready for this baby. They try to teach their children how to survive and then go through, they, they go through uh, teaching them math and these different lessons and stuff all through sign language and stuff. They teach them how to survive out in the wilderness. They even teach them spiritual life in a way. Even though they can't talk, they make sure that they're praying before meals. And you can tell that they, they make a point in this movie to have this scene, which really isn't a necessary scene, unless you think about the fact that the the directors, or the director, who is John Krasinski, was trying to make a point that the family is focused around the prayer as well. Mm. So I think that was a scene that seemed very useless unless you keep that in mind. And so we, we so see he was actually trying to like show that they were rooted in prayer. I think so. Okay. So this is, I, I don't know for sure, but this mm-hmm. is kind of my opinion looking at it. There's a lot of scenes in this movie that is really thought provoking. I think this is a very Gordon film because there's a lot of things that are left unanswered. A lot of kind of just weird things that happen that you don't really get a full grasp of. And there's some of these scenes that just really don't make sense unless they're trying to point out like these tiny little details mm, okay. that if you, if you're not actually looking at the movie, you don't appreciate it or you don't kind of take it. And I think this is one of those scenes where they're sitting at, at dinner and some of the kids kind of start, start to, to eat and they're like, wait, we, we pray first. And so even though they can't talk, they take a moment and they just pray in silence together. And I think that's mm. really beautiful. I'm sure you're going to get there. But I think just the theme of like when you talk about silence and it being tied to prayer, I think that there's something to be said about that. You know, this idea of making sure that you're taking time to silence, that even though they live their lives in silence, they still needed to reside in silence internally for God, which I think is is important. Absolutely. And that's definitely a big point that uh, Bishop Barron talked about and I want to talk about in a little bit too. So... Kind of looking at this family, though, I really want to focus on this. I know you said that your boss's father mentioned that it was a very family-oriented film, and I 100% agree with that. This is actually one of the first points I I would like to make here, is the church teaches that parents are the primary educators of their children, and we definitely see that in this family, I think. They strive to live as an example and as teachers to their children, teaching them about faith through this silent prayer, about the survival, taking the children out there and teaching them how to survive for when the parents get older, because they're thinking long-term, and about academics, having these lessons where they're 
teaching them in sign language. And Pope Paul VI wrote in Gravissimum Educatonis, he said, since parents have given children their life, they are bound by the most serious obligation to educate their offspring and therefore must be recognized as the primary and principal educators. This role in education is so important that only with difficulty can it be supplied where it is lacking. Parents are the ones who must create a family atmosphere animated by love and respect for God and man, in which the well-rounded personal and social education of children is fostered. Hence, the family is the first school of the social virtues that every society needs. Mm. So that's, that's kind of long, so I'm sorry for the long quote, but essentially what it's saying here is parents are the initial educators of every single one of us. And if there's not a solid formation within the family, then nothing else can be planted in that, that ground. Right, and, and I think we've both seen this in ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, over and over again. Honestly, the church starts in the family, right? The domestic church is the first religious community that a child will be brought into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it is the first place that they are learn they learn to be in communion with others, uh, oriented toward God. Um, that's why it's really important, <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm for this idea, you know, and obviously as a man, because I can speak on that because I am one. There we go. Uh, It's just this idea of like, you know, stepping up and and making sure that, you know, we're leading our children in the right way. Yeah. You know, that we're leading our families to virtue. Yeah. And I think, to be honest, I think nowadays that's something that we as men really struggle with. And it's kind of labeled as like, oh, that's your mom's job to show you those things. But that is just bad masculinity which is just wrong i mean that's not scriptural or true yeah right like the man supposed to be this this spiritual um leader right the head of the domestic church is christ's head of Mm -hmm. the church and leading them and laying down his life on their behalf yeah you know giving and sacrificing of himself but that's a topic for another podcast i'm sure absolutely and so i think that this is absolutely portrayed in this family with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. It's just absolutely amazing, I think. They show this amazing strength and courage in what can only be described as an unbelievable struggle, really. They sacrifice everything to protect their children at all costs. They show extraordinary strength, both both of them, in, in very unique ways. And I think Emily Blunt's character, Evelyn, may honestly be the strongest woman I've ever seen in my life and when you see the movie i think you'll understand why maybe not physically but through her love of her children she takes on this kind of power of knowing who she is and that seems to give her this like really great strength to Mm. endure pain and suffering with absolute courage and love Mm. i think the the character of evelyn emily blunt's character just her internal strength is important um, because i think that you know, one one of the things that we need to recognize sometimes as people is that we're made to endure. Mm. Uh, we have a friend who talks about this a lot. But if you look, like, humanity in regards to some of the other creation out there, right, the animal kingdom, we're not particularly fast or strong or we don't have claws or really sharp teeth. You know, we can create tools, which is great, you know, opposable thumbs. Go thumbs. <laughs> but one of the things that we have the ability of besides our reason uh, is our ability to endure, so we have sweat glands and the ability to perspirate. 
which is pretty unique in a lot of ways. And it allows us to run and endure, you know. So people back in Paleolithic times would actually outlast their prey. They couldn't run as fast as a deer or a you know, bison or whatever, but they could run as packs and run them in circles until they, their prey literally ran themselves to death. And that's when they would have the, the final blow. And I think that God built that in our very biology for a reason, and that we're made to persevere, right? And we're made to endure and through all these hardships that we are one not abandoned and two that we have the ability to get through those things i really think we're kind of we're drawing on a really good aspect of of this family here and mm-hmm. the parents and i think both parents represent to us the the masculine and the fem- feminine natures that mm-hmm. we as humans represent of god Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, in Lee, who's John Krasinski, we see a man who loves his children through protecting them, through dying to himself to serve his wife and his family, to hold them, to encourage them, teach them to be strong and take care of themselves. And in the end, here's a spoiler, I'm sorry, to sacrifice his life to ensure the safety of his family. Oh no, I actually saw that coming as you were saying what you were saying. I was like, he dies. Yeah, so I'm so oh, so sorry to all of you no. who did, did not take my warning. Oh. This is probably the biggest spoiler of the whole movie that I would give. So. This That's heartbreaking, Yeah, but very beautiful. But it is not the end. Just like in our story, Christ sacrificing himself for us out of love, this is not the end of the story. There is mm. more to it, so I didn't ruin the ending necessarily. Mm, interesting. Uh, the resurrection to the passion, so to speak. Uh, yes. Okay. Though, yeah. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, and then we have Evelyn, who represents God in this beautiful way through the way that she gives life to this newborn child eventually. We'll talk about that in a second. Through the way that she nurtures and loves her children in this gentle and, and caring nature. And in the way that she brings her family together and brings them in, a lot of the times in the story, we see them going out from this farmhouse, but she's the one that always brings them back together. And she's willing to honestly face any obstacle to protect them. And we see that countless times in here. And especially in her humility, as she takes care of the entire family and the home, but she still seems to find this simple joy and peace even in the darkness of the movie. So at the end of the second part of the film, we see Evelyn and Lee come together in the basement and they just dance in this beautiful moment, not saying a word, but you can see this kind of authentic love between them. And in that moment, we see an image of the Trinity reflected to us, I think. So they're dancing and the father, Lee, is holding Evelyn, but he's also holding the baby, and mm-hmm. the way that he's holding it, it's very clear that there's this connection. So we see kind of Lee acting as God the Father. In, in this case, we see Evelyn kind of as God the Son. And this mutual love between them, in a way, we see the life coming from them, which is the Holy Spirit. You know, so in, in this way, they're able to uh, replicate that. And I think actually maybe an even better representation of this is we have Lee as God. Evelyn is Mary, which we'll actually talk about in a little bit why I think that is the case. And then in this case, we have the baby as baby Jesus. So 
after this scene, we kind of fade out and we go into part three. So this time we go forward about a hundred days. So at this point, we're nearly two years into the invasion. So because of the need for silence, the family has to live a very simple lifestyle. And Bishop Barron writes in his review, uh, he says, Monsters and beasts in the more reflective horror movies are evocative of those things that frighten us the most. Illness, failure, our own wickedness, and death itself. How wonderful that a Hollywood movie would suggest that what is needed to keep the darkness at bay in our time is silence, simplicity, a return to the earth, prayer, and care for one another. And I don't think it's a coincidence the family's name is Abbott. Mm. Did you notice that I said that at the beginning? I didn't realize that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I really do. So I, I honestly don't know if they did this on purpose, but I honestly think this is here for us to make this connection. And to me, it brings me back to college when I would go and hang out with the monks at uh, New Mallory Abbey, it's a Cistercian monastery where I'm from. And it really just drew me in with their, their quiet life and simpleness and the way that they just simply love in the quiet, in the silence, in the service, in, in, in the prayer. And so I think we see this connection to the simpleness, kind of like we were talking about before in the silence of our hearts and in the silence of, of our words. So then we move in. Evelyn's love is again shown in the fact that knowing the consequences of giving birth to a crying child would be extremely dangerous with these monsters being able to hear every single sound. Yet knowing the risk, the whole family believes strongly in the dignity of life and decides to risk their own lives to protect each other and the mm -hmm. baby. So I think this is where your conversation with him was, was talking about the pro-life aspect. Ah, uh, yes. Where they're willing to give everything for this child, even though they know that it's probably going to be their own death. All right. And, and um, that's something that our legislative director and lobbyist at Tech Right to Life had actually said at a talk in San Antonio. But he said, you know, being pro-life is not just being against abortion. It is being for life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's really, really brought here. By the way, I just checked out and Googled John Krasinski's religion. He's Catholic. Uh, yeah, he's Catholic. He was raised Catholic. Polish father, Irish mother, I believe, or something like that. Yes. Both are Irish. He, uh, a few years ago, Catholic. went to Poland, and a priest was his guide. So Yes, sir. Chance about that. Yeah. And so that's actually something that I wanted to talk about at some point, so I'm glad you brought that up. So I do think that a lot of the things that we see in this were put in there intentionally yes. because of his, his faith background. and Or even if they weren't intentional, I think that it was so ingrained into his human person, so written on his heart, so to speak, Bingo. that it was reflected. Yeah, and so my point is, even if he didn't do it intentionally, mm -hmm. this is exactly the point of our, our, our podcast, is to show that Christ is writing himself into our story. We are a part of his story, and so this is why uh, he comes into yeah. play in all right, these we are, we are actually, whenever we do any sort of creative act, we are acting in his image and likeness in that way, and we are co-creating with the author of creation, yes. which is God. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of which, going back to this scene where Evelyn gives birth to this newborn, 
I can't help but bring us to a point that, again, Bishop Barron points out. That when she gives birth, one of the monsters is in the house lurking, trying to find her. Mm. And we see this parallel in the book of Revelation where Mary is giving birth as the dragon awaits to consume the child Jesus. It's perfect. That is so cool. Okay, so what you guys don't see is me freaking out as he was saying that. Yeah, Steve is just... Um, Because that is... Like, as soon as you were saying, when you said Revelation, I realized what you were talking about. It's beautiful. And that is amazing. Right? That is so... Wow. That is a really, really good illusion. Um, So I'm trying not to spoil a bunch of stuff, but there's other stuff like this in the movie. Wow. That's... I gotta see this. But if you're watching it from a non-religious perspective, you just... You don't necessarily see these things. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just supposed to be thought-provoking. But hopefully you guys can look at this movie and be able to pick out these themes so so after this happens and lee makes sure his wife and newborn seem to be safe he goes to find the other children who were trapped outside in the fields of Mm -hmm. the farm Mm -hmm. eventually they come together but are discovered by one of the monsters he gets them to safety by making a sacrifice of himself reminiscent like i said of christ's agape sacrifice for us and before he does he uses the sign language that the family created or learned to sign to his children and especially Regan who I didn't really mention this but I think she is the one who represents us the most and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more why but he says to her in the sign language I love you I have always loved you and as soon as he finishes signing that he screams out loud and this draws the attention of the beast so that they can escape and so in that moment, he's reassuring his daughter, who I believe represents us. It's like Christ saying to us, I love you, mm. and that's why I'm making this sacrifice. This is one of the only places where we actually hear them making noise or talking. And the only place that they actually talk, other than this really, other than maybe a, a small whisper, is they find a waterfall. And so the father, Lee, And uh, one of the sons go to this waterfall and he teaches them or he teaches his son that it's safe to talk here. And the reason why it's safe to talk is because the waterfall is louder than the voices. So you're safe because they can't distinguish the sound, essentially. And to me, this reminded me a lot of how in our faith, we find the safety in the water. We also have a lot of themes of death in Mm -hmm. water, but it's through baptism that we, we find this safety. And so I, I see this, this connection to when we come to the water, we are, we are kind of safe. We are protected. And to be honest, though, I think the main theme that Bishop Barron pulled from the movie is the idea that, as we talked about before, we find the peace and the safety within the silence. In today's society, we are more than ever overwhelmed and blasted with constant noise and distractions. But like you're talking about before, and it says in 1 Kings chapter 19, tells us that we do not find God in the chaos and in the noise. If we want to truly encounter him and know him, then we need to silence not just our mouth, but our hearts and everything around us. Mm -hmm. So this was something that I used to love about visiting the the monks 
at the, the monastery I was talking about before. When we calm our minds, our hearts, and our bodies, we allow Christ to work on us and in us so we can truly hear him and grow in relationship with him. And this is kind of like what you were talking about before, I think. And that's, I think that's a really strong theme throughout the movie. But I think it's also fair to point out that in the end, this is a small spoiler, but I'm not going to give it away. That's fine. Silence is not what saves them in the end. (laughs) It is what keeps them alive for so long, but it's not what saves them. So what finally defeats the monsters is a hearing aid. Let me explain. Regan, the girl who I said represents us the most, is deaf. We don't know if she was born deaf or if something happened to her, but she's deaf. And so... Lee, John Krasinski's character, spends every single day researching and building from scratch hearing aids for her. And we see that throughout the movie. But it's in this room where he'll never let her go because it's a dangerous room for them. So he goes down there. it makes too much noise. Right. So he goes down there every day after he's done like all of his duties for the family and he works on this for them. And so she thinks that he is mad at her, that he doesn't like her. And really, he's down here doing all this for her. And one thing I noticed about Regan is that in this movie, everything that makes noise, like whenever there is noise, it's extremely loud. Like they want you to know what's happening. But when the camera is focused on Regan, when you're supposed to be focusing on her, you can't hear a thing. And so they're really pointing out that Mm. they're trying to make you feel like you are her. In a way, I think. And that's kind of my opinion. And like I said, I think in a lot of ways we are Regan. And this is one of the reasons. So at first, Regan rejected the hearing aid. She didn't want it. And she essentially said that it failed. Everyone that you've made has failed. Hasn't done what I wanted it to do and I still can't hear. And she wasn't even willing to try it. Then when it, she tried it eventually and it didn't do what she expected, she just turned it off. But without knowing it, it was actually repelling the monsters because it was operating at a frequency that messed with their superpowered hearing. Oh, wow. Yeah. So without knowing it, they were like running behind her trying to kill her and then she'd turn it on and they couldn't touch her because they were in so much pain from it. And I think we do this with gifts that God gives us. At first, maybe we just ignore them or we don't use them. We push them away or ignore what he is doing in our life. A lot of times when God doesn't answer our prayers exactly as we want, we get upset and we say he isn't there or he doesn't listen. But in reality, he's answering our prayers, but in his way and in his time. But we don't always see what is happening, just like how Reagan didn't realize that the gift that Lee made for her out of love, the gift that he spent all of his time working on and researching for didn't do what she wanted, but it did in the end save her life. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I, honestly, what, what comes to mind with that for me is how unexpected God can be sometimes yeah. in our own salvations. That Christ is often hidden in the faces of those we least expect to see him. You know, you have two characters on the Passion, the Walk of the Passion. You have Simon of Cyrene. Veronica 
and you have Simon of Cyrene, who does not know this man. I imagine he had traveled Cyrene's in modern-day modern Libya. So you imagine he probably saved most of his life to be able to go and celebrate Passover in the Holy Land. And here he is, asked to carry a cross of a common bloodied criminal. And looking at Christ in that moment, I don't think it would have been easy to recognize him as the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Veronica shows us, as many of us learn, men-wise, sometimes there's a lot we need to learn from women, <laughs> which is to open our eyes and shut our mouths. Yes. That Simon protested it until he did it and shut his mouth and saw. Veronica saw immediately and ran to him and through the bloodied face saw our Savior. Um, and I think in a lot of ways God does this. God acts in very unexpected ways. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that old adage, which is a very truth. It's funny, it's corny, but it's true of, you know, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your tell plans. Tell him your plans. Right. That God's plans are sometimes so much more unexpected. And I think there's a beauty in that. There's a beauty in not knowing what's happening and, and allowing God, right? If, if our faith is a love story, right, as we learn in Theology of the Body, this is true. If our lives are one giant love story of the Lord reaching out to us, then it is of no wonder that he is reaching out into our hearts and surprising us every day, mm-hmm. right? That he is giving us these acts of surprise, these gifts, this beauty that we do not realize we're receiving. And I kind of get that a little bit, right? When you're talking about this theme of him being like the father, of him being like this God figure as well, is he's giving a gift that she thinks is useless, but in reality is what saves her. Yeah. And right? we see that on the cross. We see that in our lives, I think, every day. And I think it's important to recognize that and have an open heart and open mind to that. And I think after we begin to recognize Christ in our life, we're able to hopefully establish some kind of trust. And I think that's where the rest of this stems from. We used to have this saying that when I used to go on retreats as a, a teenager. We said, let go and let God. Because we don't need to worry about everything else. We don't need to worry what's going to happen, what's going to happen. Let it go. Just let God take care of it. And once you can establish that trust, then you can start to let go and let God. Very cool. With that, my challenge for you this week is to simply simplify your life. The Abbott family got by with very little and were still able to find joy and hope in the darkness. Because they were not able to speak They used their actions to show each other how they loved and served. So this week, think about how you can simplify your life. How can you find your quiet place so that in silence, your actions can speak your love to others? And in doing so, you can begin to bring Christ to them. Steve, do you have shout outs? I do. Whoa. I do have a shout out. Look out. I have several, actually, but... First and foremost, a shout out to my friend Mo. She was the one a couple weeks ago who I couldn't remember who it was that said we did a good podcast. Oh. My friend Mo. Thank you, Mo. Thank you so much. Uh, The second one is my coworker and friend, Rachel Bush. She texted me and was like, I really liked your Infinity War. And I thought it was really cool that you shouted out Texas Right to Life. And I said, I'll shout you out. And she said, no, you don't have to do that. And I said, I will. And so I am. Rachel, this is what we do. You just got to get used to it. If you're going to talk about the podcast, you're going to be mentioned on it. You shout it out forevermore. Forever Actually, more. she just texted me, which I thought was really funny. And just a shout out to 
to all my coworkers, I won't name them all by name, uh, that I got to spend the week in California with. They're just amazing people. And just a shout out to my mom, who's a listener, because Mother's Day is Sunday. Mother's Day is Sunday. So happy Mother's Day, Mother. Nice. That was good. So I actually have a bunch of shout outs too, so I'll try and go quick. First off, I want to shout out the monks at New Mallory Abbey, because even though they'll never be able to listen to this because they're monks, they've been really influential in my life. And this watching this movie really made me think of them. So shout out to them. Also want to give a shout out to my friends back in Iowa who I just visited last week because they gave us some awesome ideas and feedback while I was back there. So shout out to Lucas Evett, Casey Flack, Shannon Schuster, and Kenzie Ellsburn. You guys are awesome and I appreciate you. So thanks for the feedback. All right, guys, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you again for joining us for this Christ and Culture podcast. Find a quiet place to listen and reflect on this. Let us know what you're intaking in media. Email us, text us, Facebook us, direct message on Twitter. Just reach out, let us know what you're watching, what it is that you are taking away, what you think we're doing right, what you think we can improve upon. If you have any designs whatsoever that we can use for merchandise, please, 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 please submit that to us. If we end up using your design, we'll send you some free stuff when we actually do the merch. And, and it's a way for you guys to get involved. So please, when you're thinking of things to send us, to do podcasts on, maybe think about submitting a design if you are artistically inclined. If you're not artistically inclined, I promise you, you are more artistically inclined than Clint or myself. Correct. You could be like a cat mm -hmm. holding a pen in its mouth, and I promise you will come up with something more coherent. It doesn't have to be a pen. It yeah. Be, it could be a stick. Yeah. 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 You could literally have a blank sheet of paper, and it would be better, severely better than anything <laughs> we could come up with. So seriously, guys, please, 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 please send us things. Please contact us. Let us know what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. Pray what for it us. Is. Yeah. Oh, please and pray definitely for us. pray for us. Uh, I need all the prayers I can get. So thank you guys again, and thanks for joining us in the adventure.